This is the Pearls and Swine podcast, giving hope and healing to those who are under toxic leadership, whether that's in the home or in the workplace. Churches have a great responsibility, biblically, in taking care of victims of abuse, and in particular, the most egregious kinds of forms of abuse, of sexual abuse, and uh, uh, those forms of abuse that just have incredibly long-lasting effects on the victims, the church should be looking out for them. And as I interviewed and talked with over actually a period of quite a few months uh, with this particular um, family, as they were ones who were whistleblowers for a victim of abuse, but then ran up against the leadership abuse of the pastor of the church as they were uh, advocating for the victim of an elder who had sexually abused her. It's been just an incredible story, and, and it's very painful. And the thing about it is that they are still not through it and still have not seen real accountability happening there or any movement really by the session, the elders of this particular church, to... Um, to take steps to right the wrongs that they have done, uh, both uh, to the victim of the sexual abuse as well as this family that has been advocating for her and others. So this is a, a blog called Kayla and Amber's Story, Silencing Victims in the Church. Amber, a, a young adult, was committed to church. She loved the fellowship and the teaching. Then something happened. Her friend Kayla noticed it in her church attire at first. One Sunday, she wore a prom dress. The next, Amber wore jeans to church. Kayla said it was strange. I knew something was wrong, she told me. Kayla was hired by the church when an old friend became the pastor. It was a rough start when she sought to engage a small group of women led by an older, very wealthy patriarch. Kayla was was not welcome. They misinterpreted her reaction to them when when they had tried to hide their alcoholic drinks from her, telling others Kayla was judging them, but she wasn't. When the matriarch was slandering her, Kayla asked permission to attend their small group Bible study get-together to clear the air. She was rebuffed. So she went to her pastor and boss, Brandon. Despite having stuck, stuck up for the music minister facing a similar situation, the pastor told Kayla to just get over it. It's just part of the ministry, he explained. It's time... To put on your big girl pants, he said. Kevin was in training to become a new elder at the church. They were nearing the time that the church would ordain him in the new leadership position. But Kayla had heard stories about Kevin that were concerning. Kayla attempted to warn Pastor Brandon that Kevin had a reputation as possibly an adulterer. She had heard that he had a sexual relationship with a woman who was not his wife. The pastor brushed it off and said, I know Kevin, of course he wouldn't do such a thing. 
So the ordination went forward. Meanwhile, Kayla sought out Amber, asking her if something was wrong. At first, Amber said nothing was wrong, but a few months later, when Kayla again approached her, Amber poured out her heart. Amber had been sexually assaulted by Elder Kevin. Thus began a long road of incredible hurt for Amber, Kayla, and her husband, Zachary, and failure on the part of the church leadership. Kayla convinced Amber to speak with her husband. Kayla's husband, uh, Zachary, a professional Christian counselor, and Pastor Brandon. The first meeting with Zachary and Amber's husband went well. The men were understanding, attentive, and supportive. However, if Kayla had to do it over again, she said she would have never pushed Amber to talk to the pastor. Kayla assured Amber that the pastor would hold Elder Kevin accountable for the assault. That evening, they went to the pastor's house, and Amber bravely shared her story. The first thing Pastor Brandon asked her was, Were you drunk? From that point on, it was a battle. Was Pastor Brandon blinded by Kevin's wealth or some kind of loyalty? After all, Kevin had chaired the pulpit committee that hired Pastor Brandon. Or was it something else? As Kayla sought to bring accountability to Kevin before the other elders, she faced one roadblock after another. First of all, the elders didn't believe Amber. She had been drinking, or so somehow it was her fault. Amber had denied ever being drunk, but they didn't believe that either. Second of all, Amber's story had, has been slowly coming out, just as those who are traumatized slowly piece things together, according to experts. But Pastor Brandon has maintained that she must be lying because her story, her story has changed. However, according to Kayla, Amber has been simply adding to the story as she has processed it over time, as can be expected. Thirdly, Brandon said when he met with Kevin, he sobbed like a baby, Pastor Brandon said. Brandon said he had never seen a man so broken. Well, shortly after reporting the assault to the church, Kevin contacted Amber, asking her if he had penetrated her. Now, keep in mind, according to state law, there must be penetration to be classified as a rape. In doing so, in asking Amber if he had penetrated her, he admitted to the assault, but clearly he wanted to stay out of jail. The elders, in the end, asked Kevin to leave the church, but did not explain to the congregation what was happening, and have never taken care of Amber aside from offering to pay for some counseling. There's been no real public accounting for the credible accusations against Kevin. As Kayla and Zachary pressed on, their livelihoods, spiritual and emotional health have been profoundly damaged. In seeking the accountability of these elders, it has felt like kicking a dead horse, except this horse kicks back. In a meeting with Pastor Brandon, he asked Kayla, What if I said Amber has changed her story? 
Kayla explained that it is a known fact that memories change in those who have been traumatized. Kayla then tried to explain to Pastor Brandon the power differential between Amber and Kevin because of Kevin's spiritual authority as an elder. In response, Pastor Brandon said, that's CRT, and that stands for critical race theory. Kayla, knowing that the leadership view those who hold any CRT views are heretics, said, I'm not a heretic. She described to me, he moved to the door with his arms folded. I couldn't leave. Then he moved on to another case I was working on, a case of domestic abuse. He said disbelievingly about the accusation of abuse. There are two sides to every story. So I said, but she works for me. He retorted that he had talked to the husband for six hours. But I said, I work with her for 20 hours a week. Brandon left the office and then came back to her. He said, I want you to know that you have a voice in this. Get it out, and at some point we are done talking about this. Kayla asked, when? She said he got angry and threatened. I will do a nationwide search and replace you. He went on, though I disagree with 99% of Mark Driscoll, I would say he got one thing right. Get on the bus or get run over. Wow. Kayla's husband, Zachary, was there for this heated exchange. He was shocked by the outburst, and when Brandon left, Zachary asked Kayla if he normally talked to her that way. He explained that Brandon was yelling at her. He described it as a narcissistic kind of rage, especially Brandon's tirade when he said, I will not be accused here. I will not be put on trail trial in response to Kayla calmly reminding Brandon of something he said which he adamantly denied saying. In response to Zachary, Kayla said, that is the only way we talk. Zachary went on. He was obsessed with never being corrected, and then he mimicked Brandon, saying, this is how you have to talk to me. Kayla said Brandon's solution to their conflict was that we would meet once a week when he could correct me if I misinterpreted anything he said. Brandon basically demanded the right to reinterpret Kayla's experience as it suited his agenda of control. This was not the only form of gaslighting Kayla experienced. At her first and only performance evaluation, Brandon provided positive feedback but zeroed in on one carefully chosen criticism. He said she was overly bearing and burdens of those under your ministry has the possibility of clouding your judgment. This was said with clear reference to Amber, and the message was subtle but clear. Brandon saw things clearly, but Kayla's judgment could not be trusted. Kayla burned out and depressed, finally asked for a light leave of absence for a couple months. Pastor Brandon encouraged her to resign instead. She pushed back and made clear that her request was for paid leave, not a resignation. Kayla explained, a couple who met with Pastor Brennan said he told them that I had came to him on Tuesday and resigned, and then came in Wednesday and changed my mind. Kayla thinks it likely 
That is the same story the pastor has told the elders. At no point did she suggest that she was resigning. The elders, in the end, approved Kayla's leave of absence. Pastor Brandon then announced to the church staff that she was going to resign. She had to again push back and say loud and clear that she never resigned. She just asked for extended leave. During her leave, the elders asked her to resign and sign a non-disclosure agreement. They would provide a severance package if she would sign it and resign. It would effectively silence her. She would be legally bound to keep her mouth shut about the failures of the church leadership, in particular Pastor Brandon's abusive leadership. However, Kayla and Zachary would not be bought off as they described it. Despite Kayla's salary being their family's primary source of funds, they were agreed that in good conscience they could not take a vow of silence. Kayla refused the NDA. The church leadership must have realized they were in trouble as they went ahead with a severance package, but only gave her a portion of the severance offered with the NDA, and at the end of Kayla's leave, fired her without any explanation or justification. After months of silence following the sexual assault, the elders called a congregational meeting to address the firing of Kayla as well as Kevin's sexual assault. The pastor began with a statement regarding Kayla's termination. He explained, Let us be clear that there is no sin or character issue that has led us to this decision. Kayla is a remarkably gifted woman of God who has contributed greatly to our church and her ministries. The reason she was fired was that she continued to challenge the pastor and elders for their failure to take the kind of action that responding to a sexual predator in the church requires. Pastor Brandon, in his statement, denied this and did not express remorse for the horrible damage done by the sexual abuse of an elder, of whom they had been warned prior to installing in a leadership position. Despite being encouraged by a respected abuse specialist in their denomination to seek a third-party investigation, they did not. They did not make it public to provide a safe place for reports of other victims of Kevin's abuse, though there were others reported to Kayla. During the congregational meeting, questions were asked about the church's investigation, and the elders refused to answer them. They had not brought in experts, neither law enforcement nor abuse consultants, to investigate. Pastor Brandon confessed in the meeting that they should have come to the congregation with the information sooner, yet did not and have not asked Kayla's or the survivor's forgiveness for failing in this way to support them as they should. In fact, the pastor noted defensively it was in their rights to not report to others there was a sexual offender among them. When a question and answer time was coming to a close, one church member spoke passionately in in Kayla's defense. They said, This is an extremely serious issue where, by all appearances, a wonderful person who had impacted many of our lives very positively 
was unfairly fired because she advocated for a victim and because she wouldn't stop advocating for a victim. Bringing the meeting to a close, Pastor Brandon, in exasperation, made a last-ditch effort to force submission to the church leadership. He said, if you still have issues, come to the elders, talk to them, but go directly to the parties that are offending you. And please, for the sake of the peace of the church, be careful how you talk to one another or talk to other people. Go directly to the source and get these questions answered. Pastor Brandon went on. And when we have disagreements, take them to the session and, you know, express your concerns and your grievances. But if it is a matter of judgment call, God has ordained them and you have elected them to make those decisions on your behalf. And for the peace of the church, we need to leave it there and then walk away and love each other. His plea was to keep their failure to do what was right and failure to confess and seek forgiveness for their failures from destroying the church. Where admitting the wrong and seeking restitution would have healed many wounds that continue to this day, instead the recommended, they, he recommended keeping things as private as possible, as if that would serve the peace and purity of the church. Following the meeting, the church, a church family wrote to the elders, Abusers need to know that their predation will be met with consequences. Victims need to know that they have a place to turn where someone will listen. And the world needs to see that the church is serious about protecting the vulnerable. They went on, By your own words, you make the case that Kayla's firing was a retaliatory measure designed to silence her from bringing Kevin's sin into the light. But rather than seek real accountability for Kevin, the elders sent him to another church to continue his abuse. In a recent sermon, Pastor Brandon was speaking on submission to authority. As is common to church leadership abuse, it is not unusual for pastors to double down on the submission topic when he is being challenged. He said in the sermon, Never, ever confuse authority and biblical leadership with arrogance or a power grab. Brandon proclaimed the innocence of the elders' motives in their decisions. One of the elders proclaimed that their decisions to keep Kevin's felonies private were simply judgment calls. He said, but when the decision is made, unless it's something so sinful, you know, or so greatly unbiblical, then we are called to submit to for the peace of the church. So, it sounds very biblical and wise, doesn't it? But regarding such horrible treatment of victims and those who advocate for them as simply judgment calls is anathema to the Lord. As one individual who has experienced leadership abuse said, it seems that where there is leadership abuse in the church, you will always find spiritual abuse. It is when submission is discussed in pulpits and in response to questions about the ways authority is exercised in the church that the use of Scripture to control and manipulate is very common. References in Scripture like Hebrews 13.17 or 1 Peter 2.13 
are taken out of context and absolutized to suggest that no matter what the authority does, the subordinate is required to obey and submit. It is poor exegesis and deeply damaging to God's people. Kayla, Zachary, and Amber's lives have been turned upside down by the leadership of their church. Rather than responding in silence, deception, justification, and anger, their leaders should have heard their cries. They should have taken decisive action to hold the abuser accountable. They should have sought the healing of those who suffered under Kevin's sexual assaults. And they should have seen how this crisis revealed Brandon's abusive leadership. If they don't, they should pack their bags. They do not belong in leadership. Thank you for listening to the Pearls and Swine podcast. We seek to bring hope and healing to those under toxic leadership, whether in the home, the church, or the workplace. If you find our podcasts and blogs helpful, consider giving to the costs of production. My name is Kelly Daynert, and I produce the podcast. The music you heard is called Finally, a song I wrote a number of years ago. It is performed by Mingoli, an African ensemble from Malawi. 